pulls it off. At, at one point during this whole fracas, we could see that Abercadania was just frozen in a block of ice, like in the uh, his ice fortress, just sort of stuck there. Um, along with an imprisoned version of um, the Fiona and Kate uh, fan fiction uh, that he made a long, long time ago, that he tried to get the the original Magi episode, he tried to get it to come to life, and instead the book came to life, not the actual content. And uh, Ice King was devastated. Well, he still got the book, and it's, he's imprisoned, and he keeps yelling, uh, right in me, and stuff like that. Uh, and he's farting a lot. So, in the end, he tosses all his possessions, like, off a cliff, and you can hear them, like, thunk. And he's sort of left alone, and he's, but the Magi's still there, and he's like, hey, you know, we could still hang out. Uh, I did actually want you here, and we could get along. And he's like, really? He kind of dismisses him at the end, but he's really interested in this, uh, in this dancing book that just keeps farting and saying, right in me. So uh, it was a really strange episode. I'm sure I missed huge chunks of what went on, even though I just watched this like two weeks ago. It's already just gone. Uh, Kevin, fill in the gaps and say what you liked and didn't like about it. Well, I liked most of it. I thought it was a fun Ice King episode that played into his psyche and his insecurities. I think I liked most of the beginning when it was Gunter and the rest of the Penguins just like, trashing his stuff, and then he swept them all away in just, like, a big ball. That was pretty humorous. I also like the take of the illustrators on what all of his stuff would look like when it was alive. It was kind of Pee-wee's Playhouse-esque in that uh, respect. But it was fun. It was very much an Ice King episode. Not too heavy, pretty light, a lot of fun. It kind of reminded me of, like, the older days of Adventure Time before they would get into all this mythology and whatnot. And uh, I'm I'm okay with having these kind of episodes every so often. I think I've said that before, so I just had a, a good time watching this. Thumbs up. Couple, I'll, I'll fill in some gaps. I like this episode. It was cute, although when I watched it, I was very tired, possibly drunk. These are probably Simon Petrikov's belongings, um, and I say that because I think that's the reason they're smart. And so philosophical and Nietzschean almost. And it's also why they, they think they have as much seniority in the spot as Ice King because I think he brought them from his pre-Mushroom War times. So that's a thousand year old drum set. And the, the only piece that you kind of missed was that Ice King, you know, the, the, the piece with the lamp. The lamp and Ice really tried to relate to Ice King and Ice King sort of spared her from, from being murdered by being thrown out of his cave at first. Uh, but when she, uh, what's the word, not accused him, but really told him what she really thought of him killing, all the, how sad it was that he had to kill all of his possessions, uh, that was when he did away with her. I did like the way he told the Magi that he um, that he would not be his best friend, but he did like the idea that the two of them just sit around and watch the the farting insane Fiona and Cake book. I thought that was very funny. It's sad. I, just, I wonder if Ice King's ever going to get, I don't know, this, these episodes make me want him to sort of get some kind of reward at the end of all this. And it just bums me out that I don't think that's coming. I think we're just supposed to be okay with them beating him up all the time. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think we're supposed to feel bad, you know, I think, which is not a great aim uh, unless you're, you're resolving to, um, you know, you know, again, give us that catharsis. I mean, we, it goes back to Simon turning back into the ice King and death looking at him and saying, Sorry, man, you lose. Like, that's, that's what this character is. This is, like, worse than death for Simon. This is, I mean, you think about it from his perspective. We know that he's sort of 
vaguely aware of what's going on, uh, all the things that he had left, a lot of his possessions that he subconsciously kept around uh, were made, you know, brought to life and were destroyed. So I guess in a way it's kind of Ice King rejecting Simon almost. Like you said, I hadn't really thought about that being a reflection of his own, uh, you know, the way he used to be, them taking on his, you know, uh, his traits, his properties. Um, it, it's almost kind of like that. It's like that that rejection. It's what Ice King is at its core is this sort of impulsive, selfish guy. And deep down, there's a very thoughtful, very lonely man that can't get this resolution that he so desperately craves. Um, and it's it's so tragic beyond belief that, like you said, I really hope there's some at some point some uh, moment of separation between those characters, if that's even possible. Is there a world where Simon and Ice King can coexist? That would be interesting, but uh, I don't know. Well, I guess for now, uh, not Simon, rather Ice King will just remain his selfish, crazy self. I think the the saddest Ice King lately was just uh, a few episodes ago when he had the the fleeting moment with his ex-girlfriend from way back in the Simon days. That made me most sad of all for him. Yeah, and we've seen at the very least that he is, she's working on something, you know? It's, uh, she's, you know, obviously there's there's a drive there. There's a, uh, you know, a, a determination. She's not just kind of sitting around. She is trying to come, come up with a way to, you know, uh, to free, free him and keep him alive. But uh, there's just not... I don't know. I don't know if that is if that's the end result that that would uh, that would satisfy. Or I, honestly, maybe that's something they're saving for the movie. There is a movie coming out, uh, so you know maybe that's something they'll explore there. But either way, I think we can all agree at this point that uh, we really want Ice King to find uh, some kind of peace, or we'll just figure just just some you know that doesn't involve a little farting book and the, you know. Which he doesn't really. He'll just. He probably threw that off the cliff. You know, the second that the episode cut off. Maybe. But speaking of possessions, not and possessions that come to life. Um, let's talk about Jermaine. Jake has a dream. Maybe that it could be construed as a sex dream about multiple lady rainicorns, a lady rainicorn land. Uh, but then he gets launched into this this very straight and narrow, very gray and formal cube. Uh, wherein his brother Jermaine is uh, wearing a, a onesie uh, that covers his head, a onesie hoodie of a teddy bear, and organizing um, organizing things, uh, trying to put things in order, and trying to get rid of Jake because Jake is too chaotic in this little room. Um, and they're able to communicate with each other this way because they're both dreaming at the same time, and that is a, um, a mechanism that we learned that they shared in the episode Crystals Have Power when Jake first communicated with Jermaine at the same time. Uh, but Jermaine's voice was very different back then. So anyway, Jake wakes up and he tells Finn about his dream and they decided it's time to go visit Jermaine. Although um, Finn seems skeptical, skeptical, he thinks Jermaine is something of a dream hole. So they go to visit Jermaine and on the way they, they encounter a lot of demons and they notice there are more demons than usual outside of, of Jermaine's house, which it turns out out um, was Jake and Finn's childhood home as well. Uh, it's the same house that we saw in Finn's memory in the episode Memory of a Memory. Um, and they go to 
they they meet they meet up with Jermaine and he fires arrows at the demons that are bothering them and they get behind this salt line uh that's made from special shaman blessed sea salt that um that their father uh Joshua had found and um then they start messing with the demons but Jermaine just wants them to come inside and stop being such goofs but the minute they come inside they start goofing around with everything um Jake finds Cloud Cloud Strife's Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII and destroys the house with it, and Finn just goes bonkers in there, uh, reliving his childhood memories. And um, Jermaine basically begs them to relax. Uh, in the meantime, um, uh, Jermaine has to run downstairs because his, an alarm goes off on his watch uh, that reminds him that... Um, there's this demon down there that will be released from a force field if a teddy bear that sings a song that's on a uh, cassette tape uh, gets out. And this demon mocks um, Jermaine down there, and Jacob can see it. And they get into a debate about how Jermaine should really leave and get out of the house. He's really basically trapped there by all these demons and possessions that his father left behind. And Jermaine flips out and says, you know, he's always been the responsible one, and he would have loved to, you know, be the stretchy dog, but he's not the stretchy dog. He's never, he's never stretched up to the sky and farted on the fat of a falcon or the wings of a falcon, uh, which Jake admits he's never done, but I hope we see that at some point in the future. And then they get into a physical fight, but obviously, since Jake is part alien, Jermaine's not able to really take him, and Jake diffuses the situation, um, by far- making, also, like ice skiing, like, by actually farting. Um, I left out a part where the, the thing that actually sets Jermaine off is that, Jake volunteers to cook dinner, but he uses the salt from outside to make his fried rice, and it, one of the demons gets in, and they, it destroys even more stuff in the house. Uh, anyway, everyone makes up, but during all this fracas, um, Justin, do you already use the word fracas? I use it a lot. I don't know if I used it last time, but it, it's fitting. All right, I'm doubling down on fracas. Um, the house catches on fire, and Jermaine um, just decides to let it all burn down. And in doing so, he becomes free of of his tether to this house. Uh, but uh, I think his name is Bryce, the evil demon downstairs, finally gets free. Um, but rather than attack and eat Jermaine, they have a discussion uh, in which Jermaine tries to convince Bryce that the things he says are just creepy and insane. And that's the reason that he doesn't have any friends. And then they walk off together. And we, uh, you know, we're left with the hope that, that Jermaine's life is going to sort of, you know, be a little more balanced. Um, I like this a lot. I didn't, it wasn't the intro to Jermaine that I thought it would be. It wasn't particularly dramatic, but we got a new, essentially a new character and some development with that character. And we got Jake, um, making up with more of his family, which I think is important for him. I liked it a lot. This one resonated quite a bit. Um, it was, it was a very unique way of, you know, exploring and getting through, uh, Jermaine's, Stuff, you know, all the stuff that was clogging him up and that angst and that frustration. I really liked that they it wasn't dialogue between Jake and Jermaine that fixed it because that would not have felt right. That's not who Jake is and that's not what he's capable of. It was just Jermaine working it out. Like whenever Jake went to say anything, Jermaine just immediately stepped up and just figured it out himself and said, I know, I know this is my doing. I do all of this. You know, I made this mess and I've just sort of uh, resided to, to, to live in it um, and the, the fact that he kind of went through that himself rather than through dialogue with the characters was um, 
made it interesting and, and made Jermaine interesting for that reason, that he was so stuck in this place that the smallest catalyst um, tipped the whole thing out of whack. And it was a nice ending. Again, I, I will argue forever that Adventure Time does do endings even if they're seemingly random with some kind of purpose. And that was that, for me, it was that Jermaine had a friend. Even if it was this guy that was at the, you know, at the bottom of a house forever and ever, this was a person he saw every day, had a dialogue with, knew what he liked and didn't like, kind of, you know, uh, on some level, as soon as everything ended, they just kind of walked off together. Uh, I don't know if things better for him, but I can say that interested to see how what becomes of him, what, what, what he does, where he goes, and uh, how everything turns out. Um, was, was Jake affected much in this episode? Like, did this, did this do anything? I feel like he was just kind of an observer, and it didn't really give him any catharsis or anything like that. To an extent, though, I feel like him freeing his brother gave him some catharsis. Like, I think he, he felt bad that his brother felt that, that he had this burden on him to carry the legacy of his father and their and their household. And so I think for him, he was happy to see that that was no longer the case once the episode came to a conclusion. Uh, I, you guys kind of covered it all. I also really enjoyed it. I always like seeing what's up with Jake and uh, his sibling or his own kids or his family because it seems like we get it intermittently, but not a ton of it. So it's always kind of a treat when we do get to see it. And uh, this is no different. I don't. Like you, Brad, I think this isn't necessarily what I was expecting, but I like the story as it was told, and it was fun to go and see the old house again. Uh, I was hoping for another buff baby that can dance like a man dance, but uh, I'll take what I can get, and for what I got was another fun episode. So two episodes back oh. in, and Adventure Time is still doing good stuff. Good. Uh, will you tell us where the snails were? I will. So in Friends Forever, he was on the floor by the the cello and cymbal when they were alive, and Ice King was kind of talking to them and telling him to get out of the house. And they actually did something kind of interesting in Jermaine. So in the treehouse at the beginning when um, when Jake is taking one of those living drink things out of their, out of their freezer, uh, there's a set of pots up in the tree, like a branch in the tree in their treehouse, that are cobbled together to look like the snail waving, which counts as the snail for this episode. I, I did some research after to make sure that's what it was. And indeed, that's what they did. So, interesting stuff. Maybe they're going to mix up what the snail is or does or what have you this season, if there's any indication. But yeah, that's the snails for this week. Cool. I think there's only like six or seven episodes left in this season. But um, but yeah, right on. Uh, a couple, a few cool, cool, cool um, guest voices this week. Dana Snyder returns as the voice of the ancient sleeping magi of life giving. You know him better as Master Shake. Aqua Teen Hunger Force is about to begin its final season. Uh, known as Aquatine Hunger Force forever, long after the show uh, jumped the shark. So wait, didn't they change the name? They changed the name every year for the last like four years, and this year it's going to be called Aquatine Hunger Force Forever. Oh, okay, all right, interesting. Last year I think it was Aquatine Aqua Aquatine Show Show. Hmm. Okay. I don't know, but that I don't know. I haven't watched the show in years Me because neither. I I really stopped liking it, but it's ending this year. Um, the Lamp was voiced by Tipper Newton. I don't know much about her. I think she's an actress or a comedian or a singer or something. But she was the voice of The Lamp. Maybe you know who she is. And then a cool thing in in uh, Jermaine. Jermaine was voiced by Tom Sharpling, the host of The Best Show. And Tom's co-host, Jonathan Worcester, who is also uh, the drummer for Super Chunk and the Mountain Goats, um, he was Bryce. 
the demon. So I, I like when they do stuff like that and bring in more than one people who are related to each other. And I think it added to the chemistry between Jermaine and Bryce in the final gag of the episode. So neat stuff. Um, now let's do the, the thing we, we are sort of starting to dread here at Flooping the Pig <laughs> and make the transition to comic books. Kevin, you read uh, the Spooktacular 2013 Halloween thing. Why don't you tell us about it? Okay, I will tell you about it. So... Uh, like a couple of the one-shots they've done in the past, this is uh, a, a comic of many uh, issues in it, like a collection of stories rather than one big story. And so this obviously was Halloween-themed, as you could maybe guess from the spectacular title. So the first one was called Costume Party, in which Ice King crashes a costume party that Finn and Jake are throwing. And when they discover it's the real Ice King, as opposed to someone dressed like the Ice King, uh, they want to throw him out, but Marceline convinces to let him stay since his intentions are harmless and the party continues. Uh, then they have an episode called Secret Stash, and that stash is in mustache. As Starchy wakes up and finds that his mustache is gone, uh, he laments that he and his mustache never got to go fishing like he promised, and he runs around looking for the mustache and looking for help, and he goes to people like Finn and Jake and Princess Bubblegum, and they all have mustaches, and they don't believe he's the real Starchy because he doesn't have his own mustache. And it turns out that, like, all of the Candy Kingdom have mustaches, and they threaten Starchy. So he kind of runs away, and he finds his mustache, who was fishing by a lake, which he promised long ago. Uh, the art in this particular comic was lifelike and so weird, and it made me really uncomfortable. Uh, so, yeah, I, at this point I wanted to stop, but for you, dear reader, I continued ahead with the other stories. Uh, one was called Halloween Horticulture, in which Jake and Finn come across a pumpkin princess after walking through a bunch of thorn bushes. And uh, she's worried because somewhere in her head is a bad seed, a literal bad seed. And apparently if it is not destroyed by midnight on Halloween, she will turn into a rampaging, candy-eating beast and will consume the entire candy kingdom. And so Finn and Jake have some ideas how to get it out, but according to her, it must be bravely cut from her head. Finn's, Finn wants to turn it down because he does not hurt other princesses, but she calls him a liar for saying that he's a hero. Finn closes his eyes and cuts her head open to get the bad seed out. Um, it turns out this action actually tickles her rather than hurts her. And Finn pulls out all of the seeds in her head. And she tells them to rub her seeds on their wounds that they got from the thorn bushes, as the blood of a righteous hero is essential for finding the bad seed. And it turns out they're all bad seeds, and she used their blood as a fertilizer for a gourd ghoul army. So a bunch of these pumpkins come out, and they have to fight them off. And it turns out all of those were a prank that her and tree trunks were playing. And Tree Trunks makes it up to them by making her special Halloween pumpkin pie. And then the last story in this is called Bad Girl Gone Good, where Marceline dresses up as a sarcastic nice girl for Halloween, but ends up backfiring because people actually treat her way better since she's being so nice. And she talks about how much of this is bugging her to Jake, who suggests she goes out on the dance floor and dances it out and maybe meets a bad enough dude to kiss. So she meets this one guy, they dance, and he, and, uh, he asks her out, but she really can't tell if he's being sarcastic or is being nice, which causes her to go back to being mean and she flies away. And weirdly, the comic ends with the guy saying that she got way hotter when she was being herself. And Jake says, yep, they do that. They surely do. And that was the whole comic. Uh, that, aside from the one really uncomfortable story, it was okay, but you can totally live the rest of your life without reading this and be fine. Brad, I know you read, what, two of the stories and then gave up? Yeah, I read the first one, and even since you explained it, I forgot what you said, and I forgot what it was about, and I read the second one, and I hated it, and it, and the lifelike, um, 
it was it was bad and it was gross and it was terrible and I stopped reading after that. What was the first one again? To repeat a little. Uh, ice skiing went to the oh costume, costume contest, right? Yeah. yeah, I didn't like that one either because Finn was such a douche to ice skiing, and that just like it's not where those two characters are any. So that bothered me too. Justin, I take it you didn't read them, huh? Yeah, that says it all. So I um I read Pixel Princesses. Which is um, in the same series of black and white graphic novels as the Flame Princess one that we got. Was it a yeah? It was a Flame Princess. I already can't remember the Flame Princess one. They had to go through like a dungeon or something with like a bunch of right, right. They had to go through the dungeons to save Finn, who was being a jerk. Um, Anyway, in this one, there's a princess party, but Lumpy Space Princess wasn't invited, or she was invited, but oh no, I screwed it up. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, of. Princess Day, because it's, it's sort of similar. No, here it's Lumpy Space Prince. It's a surprise party, which it turns out she threw for herself and invited all the other princesses. But she has the same problems with Breakfast Princess in this as she did in um, Princess Day. I think this came out first, and I think that they're meant to be connected. In any event, Bimo gets upset because it wasn't invited, and it wants to be a princess, and then it sucks all the princesses up into a princess game in its system, uh, and much like in Guardians of Sunshine, you die. If you die in the game, you die in real life. So the pixel, the princesses have to find the pixel versions of themselves to escape, and they all go through different games that, um, sort of, they win by, by using their own strengths. So there's Muscle Princess, and Raggedy Princess, and LSP, Breakfast Princess, Embryo Princess, and I think Scary Skull, Creepy, creepy Princesses? Yeah, there? like Zombie Princess or whatever her name is. I don't, I don't think we ever, she has a name, but I don't know what it is, and the reason we don't, that I can't think about it is because I'm Princess Potluck. Finn doesn't say it because he just sees her and goes, hey, you. <laughs> anyway, they do eventually get out and, and they treat Bimo like a princess. And I, I actually had a fine time reading this. I remember thinking it was quite fine and pleasant. But two weeks after I read it now, I, I don't remember it at all. Um, Kevin, do you remember it at all? Well, one thing you forgot it was she was upset, uh, LSP was, because while some of the princesses came, like the ones you listed, a lot of them didn't come, like Princess Bubblegum and some others, and she was really upset because she thought that uh, they hated her, and so she was going to just denounce her princess ship and took like her the star out of her head or whatever, her gem, and then the Bemo thing happened, and then at the end of the game when they all become princesses again, uh, prin- prin- uh, her and uh, Breakfast Princess get in a pretty big fight in the game, and Princess uh, Breakfast Princess says like LSP is worthless, she doesn't really have any skills, but she ends up being able to solve a puzzle really well at the end and saves uh, Breakfast Princess's life. And so they become friends. And in the end, Princess Bubblegum comes in and they say, hey, sorry, we're late. Everyone's getting ready at my place. And they have a good party and it's all that. Um, this might have been the fav- my favorite comic we've read so far. Um, it's everything I think the comic should be. It's a very accurate representation of all the characters. It takes a lot of the tertiary characters who don't get a lot of time in the show and gives them their own story. And I think that is a really good way of using the comics. Uh, it was a quick read. It was a fun read. And uh, I just, I really liked it. So I think this, to me, is the first comic where I think it's kind of lived up to its potential and gave me, as somebody who is essentially forced to read the comics for the show, something that I want to see out of these comics. So I really enjoyed it. Justin, did you read it? I didn't. I didn't read this at all. I didn't even open them. Uh, what's 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 next week? What do we got look, looking forward to next week? That's a Brad question. That's well. That's who I'm asking. 
Yeah, I don't. I I would have to go into the Google Doc to find out. So for everyone, if you want to find out what we're gonna read next week, you just have to tune in. I know that. Uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, we're done for the day. Uh, Kevin, take us to Plugland. All right. So there's Twitter and things. You can follow me on Twitter at k413. Uh, the nice folks at Pro Wrestling Ponderings host this podcast, so follow them on Twitter at PW Ponderings. If you like independent wrestling. There's results and reviews and other fun things up there, podcasts like this one. So uh, check it out. And uh, obviously you have found this podcast and listened to it, so we appreciate that. Uh, so if you've already subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, whatever, maybe leave some reviews. Maybe tell some people about the podcast. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, Justin, what do you have? I have a Twitter at Justin J. Houston. It's very funny. And uh, I do stuff on PW Pondering. Some of them you. You probably already mentioned them. One of them is Viva Chikara. I wasn't really listening, but I feel like you covered that part. We do Viva Chikara. It is very good. It is about Chikara. Bro. Brad, what do you do? I wrote a book called Burger City. You can buy it on Amazon.com. It's especially prudent if you live in New York City and want to know where the best burgers in the city are, or if you're thinking of coming here, uh, if you get it, when is this going to come out? Next week? Uh, if you get it, uh, right now, actually, if you're listening to this the day that this podcast comes out, it's discounted. It's it's pretty nicely discounted, probably like half off. So grab it. It's probably like less it's, than five it's bucks. Really, it's a great hate gift. If you live in New York, uh, like buy one for yourself and buy one from your friend for your friend who doesn't live in New York and like doesn't have access to good burgers and just just to mock them. It's also a good way to get them to visit New York because they'll know where the best burgers in every single neighborhood are. Because I was really detailed. I made a lot of lists because I know you people like lists. Um, and that's it. We'll be back next, either next week or in two weeks. Uh, depends on how we decide to do this show going forward. Uh, uh, with more flooping the pig, and thank you for flooping the pig. I flooped the pig. Mm-hmm.